I often find the really talented women in our society, in our industry, but I also at the same time, I found that they were not really active. I want to give an advice to raise your hands and voice out. I have been voicing out. I will tell you that my voices were not always welcome, okay? And sometimes people didn't like my voices. And then sometimes they told me, hey, Michelle, this is a time to shut up. <laughs> and I had to be quiet. However, through the various moments of voicing out my opinions, I tend to gain more exposures and I tend to gain more support from my male colleagues and female colleagues and my bosses. It is not that bad to speak up. If you think that your voice actually is relevant to help the society and help the company, voice out and participate in networking with the rest of the women and with the rest of the society. And that's what I really want to see in our industry. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We are elated to have Michelle Kim on the podcast today. She has over 20 years of experience in the ENP industry and is a seasoned professional known for her commercial discoveries, including the Shui gas field in Myanmar. Throughout her career, she has taken on international assignments in over six countries in Southeast Asia, Europe, and North America. Michelle right now holds the position as the head of commercial for Southeast Asia Geological Low Carbon Solutions at Repsol. Her story is absolutely incredible. Um, she served in leadership roles at Repsol, overseeing Australia, PNG, and the U.S. Gulf of Mexico before becoming the head of commercial for Southeast Asia, specializing in CCS, geothermal, and hydrogen storage projects. She earned her bachelor's and master's degree in earth and environmental science from Korea University in Seoul, South Korea. And she is speaking to us today from Houston, Texas. She will be moving shortly, but it's just incredible to be able to speak with you today, Michelle, and to share your incredible journey and your ways around the world with our viewers today and really get a sense of what it was like to grow up in South Korea and have the opportunity to expand your career and make it to the United States. It's a really amazing journey that you went on, and I'm really excited to share with our listeners today. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm honored to get invited to this prestige podcast. I'm a great fan of your podcast, and I'm always inspired by these young ladies who are trying to bring the leadership into our EMP and energy world. I would just ask a question. Am I the first Korean as a guest speaker? Yes, you are. Okay, yes. so I'm ready to give a lot of a South Korean accent to our audience. <laughs> I love you so much, Michelle. And you know, I just wanted to add to what Jamie said. I believe when we first did your pre-interview, we were kind of just get to know your story before we do this podcast. We were just shocked by how incredible your story is. And I cannot wait for people to just like, you could write a book about like just your life story and just everything, the challenges, the obstacles that you had to overcome for being a female starting into the industry is truly amazing. And so we're really excited to feature you. And like you said, first Korean 
part of that, you know, we wanted to ask you, being born and raised in South Korea, can you tell us a little bit more about what life was like? You grew up with a very hardworking single mom. You were very smart. You were good at school. And you thought maybe one day you were going to be a teacher. So tell us a little bit about what was life like in South Korea? Yeah, so I grew up in South Korea with my mom and who worked really hard to support our family. I and my sister, she majored in oil painting. So she was an artist. And she loved the job, but unfortunately, she soon realized that she couldn't make enough money to support our family. So she quit her passion and she opened the small restaurant in downtown. So she was pretty busy at the restaurant. So my sister and I had to take care of ourselves. So we pick up house chores and we did our house chores by ourselves. But somebody may probably feel sorry for us for this situation, but I always thought I was so lucky to be in this unique environment because like other kids, my mom never brought me a homework. And if I prepare the stuff to bring to school, so we had more freedom. And thanks to my mom's background, artistic background, our restaurant was a gathering place for a diverse group of her friends. So they were like artists, musicians, and theater directors, and medical students, and teachers. We were not related by blood. I used to call them aunties and uncles, sort of kind of a culture practice in Korea. I guess it's a similar in Mexico in certain aspects. So I was grown up surrounded by these cool adult friends, and they exposed me to the world beyond the conventional. So for example, the medical student auntie showed me the piece of a human bone, and then she explained the fascinating aspect and inside of the human body. And then the other director uncle took me to the backstage where the musical show was on still played. And then he showed me there were more people actually collaborated together to make a show. And I also had an awesome aunties in the university student union leaders group. And they were pretty much into the kind of crazy ideas at the time. And one of them taught me to an unconventional ideas like Karl Marx theory. Karl Marx theory was not something that nine-year-old kid would appreciate and would be interested in. But despite my lack of interest, her passion actually made me patiently listen to her. Our family was struggling with the limited resources, and we had to carefully budget before spending. But I consider myself was so fortunate to have a lot of inspiring mentors. And one thing that I learned from them was there are so many ways to live and think beyond what people expect. And I believe my childhood with so many cool, adult, and diverse mentors actually shaped the way of thinking and who I am now. Oh, that's just such an incredible way of you reflecting and looking back on your life as a child and how that influenced you. And I think it's so unique in the aspect that you looked at your aunties and your uncles and you took it all in as a great opportunity and you didn't look at it as a negative. It was a really positive thing for you in your life. So thank you for sharing. And begs the question of like, how did you get into geology as an undergrad I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, okay, what made you think of geology? You got a master's degree in geology. You graduated in 2001 and thinking about where you were and your career path and in South Korea, how did you find out about this degree and what pushed you into that direction? It seems very opposite of even what your mom and your family did and then giving your situation. Tell us a little bit about that and how did you pursue such a degree? Sure. I got into geology simply because in South Korea, getting into a good university is a big deal because of high competition. 
And I chose geology just because it allowed me to attend one of the prestigious schools based on my grade. I like the geology more than other science subjects, but I confess it wasn't just a passion. But once I got in, I had to study harder to earn scholarship because my younger sister was heading to university at the same time. So I sat in front of the first row, in front of the professor in every class, and a structural geology professor thought that I was fully into geology. And he offered me of sitting in the grad school courses, even though I was still undergrad. And I was involved in a lot of experiments with the graduate school students when I was undergrad. And I found the geology pretty interesting. So I decided to pursue a master's degree of a structured geology. Initially, I thought about a career in academia, but then I soon realized that I fit better in the business world. Mm. So, Michelle, in 1997, there was a major crisis in Asia, and many Asian countries, when you mentioned to us, did not secure enough American dollars, and they couldn't pay back their debts at that time. There was no jobs available, and it felt like a recession was about to start. You had applied for multiple jobs, and you did not get the interviews to a specific job that you really wanted. But one of your friends did, male friend, let's just make it clear. He didn't even have a master's degree like you did. He didn't have a scholarship like you did. And you just didn't understand why he would be invited to an interview and not you, because you clearly knew that maybe you were a better candidate. Can you tell us a little bit of kind of what happened at that time? You thought maybe there was discrimination towards you. Tell us a little bit about kind of what happened and what happened next. Sure. As you said, in the late 90s, Asia overall faced a major crisis. Jobs were very few, and it felt like a recession had hit in almost everywhere in our society. So I, being a geology major, also struggled to find work. I applied everywhere, especially there was a job that I was completely interested in that was an international trading company looking for a geoscientist in in their EMP division. I submitted my application, but however, I was never invited for an interview by them. But then one day, to my dismay, a less qualified classmate, I would say, (laughs) got the interview instead. So I felt that it might be because I am a woman. I decided to take measures into my own hands. I searched and found the hiring manager's email address in the internet, and I wrote him an email and asked for just five minutes. And I told him that I'm going to prove that I was the right fit. And surprisingly, he agreed. And then the interview went very well. He believed in me, but he had to go to get approval from his boss, the vice president of that division for final decision. So I was sitting in in the final interview with the vice president. I felt unwelcome. He goes like this. He went, we don't hire women. And he expressed doubt about whether I could do the job that his male colleagues could do. I couldn't confidently say that I could just because I didn't know exactly what they were doing in their company. So I just exited his office. I thought I had missed the chance. But then on the next day, fortunately, the hiring manager, who later became my boss, convinced the vice president to give me a shot. So against the odds, I got the job. And given that experience, reflecting on where you're at today, do you still feel that kind of challenge is still amongst women in general or trying to get to this diversity state that we're working on in oil and gas and in all both service and operators? What have you seen progress? Um, You had this challenge at a young age, and now you're in a role of change. Can you kind of talk a little bit about maybe how things have evolved since then, or if you feel like they have? 
Yeah, I see that there has been a lot of a progress because now these days, when I share this, my story, then a lot of people say, ooh, the manager should not supposed to say that in the interview, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that it is not really common to receive that kind of a comment straightforward. But however, I do believe we still have a lot of things to progress. Although a lot of companies just post that they are not going to discriminate the genders when they post the job opportunities. But there are a lot of a certain aspect that hiring managers consider. And then we admit that we are somewhat biased by the genders. However, I see that there are more women in the industry. That's one of the kind of quantifiable measures that I want to say, which is encouraging. And I want to proactively advocate that we want to get involved more in the industry. Mm-hmm. I really like what you mentioned, Michelle. And it's true, there's more and more percentages of women in leadership positions and management positions. And so it's slowly kind of changing. But to your point, there's still a lot of unconscious bias for sure in hiring. We hear it a lot, especially depending on how old the female is, they might think, oh, she might want to have a family really soon. She just got married. Like they start piecing all of these stories together before either offering you a different role, et cetera. So I think it's really important that you mentioned that and that we continue the unconscious bias training that a lot of companies are doing for those. Right. I want to share one of the questions that I received at the first job interview, not only by this company, but another one. And I was asked if I will be married. That was a totally private question. And I know Mm -hmm. that in the the U.S., you are not supposed to ask this private question during the job interview. But I believe it is that some Asian companies may still address this question to the female candidate. But I want to argue this. They never pose this question to their male candidates. They always ask this question crucially to female candidates, but families are, I mean, male colleagues have families like female colleagues. Why do women candidate need to be exposed for more risk of not stopping the work during the pregnancy and et cetera? I still think that we have to work together to improve the situation more, but I'm so glad that there are more women in the industry in voicing out together. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I've heard of that too in different countries. Some countries are not like in the US, maybe Europe, where they do ask those questions still in 2023. To your point, they're not asking that to the male colleagues. So why should they for the females? To continue a little bit back to your story, we want to talk about how important support and mentorship is in someone's career. Even though at the beginning it started rocky with the company that you ended up working with, because they even told you in your face, like we usually don't hire women. And so you kind of knew already where they were starting, but you really proved them wrong. You them that you were even a top performer and were doing even better than some of their male employees. And they started to really support you. And you had way more business opportunities because they believed in you. They saw your potential and they were very much supporting you. Can you tell us a little bit maybe how like men advocating for change impacted your career and how they started to change the way of thinking and they started to actually even help you even more to succeed? Yeah. So Being the first woman that they hired in my first Korean company, I felt like a bit of an experiment for the company. They started giving me a small task and I proved myself with excellent delivery and they entrusted me with more challenging responsibilities. And also what is important to say at this moment is like the hiring manager already convinced of my suitability during the job interview. Gaining his trust of direct supervisor was a very, very important step to begin with. 
And also, the company was in the quite challenging situation at the time. They were not doing very well financially, and then they were struggling to get over the financial risk that they were posed. The challenging situation of the company created a lot of opportunities for problem solvers in respect of gender. In times of a crisis, for example, like urgency takes precedence over other matters, like such as gender concerns. And my tendency to ask questions and also seek solutions with provocative manners, because I always ask why and why not. And this attitude was highly appreciated by the management at the time. I want to give a credit to the former company's management for a while for embracing such attitude. And in critical situations, the discussion about male versus female became less important. But one tip I want to share with the young career professional is this. When you are given with the first task, when you begin your career, deliver it at the exceptionally good satisfactory level. So delivering the first task exceptionally well is very vital because it paves the way for more opportunities. So for example, if you are called by your supervisor to take another task or to receive more jobs, that means you are already recognized. You are doing very well. Yeah, there was a, some sort of initial reservations about hiring a woman, but then the company gave me a strong support And because of that, I was only able to perform and contribute to the company. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technique FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now back to the show. I like how you broke that down and you brought in some points that I never really thought about personally. And it was, if they're asking you to do more then obviously they do see something in you and they think that you'll be able to exceed at the task or they wouldn't be adding more to your plate. And I think sometimes we see it as a negative where we're like, oh my God, they're asking me to do another thing or something else. And really they're asking you because they believe in you. So thank you for clarifying that point. I think the listeners will really like to hear that. I want to talk about this time that you initiated to book a flight to Calgary for a critical interview with Talisman. And it was a really bold move for you to do that. And you didn't really hesitate. And you traveled for an interview. You recognized the significance of going beyond just a simple application. You have applied, but you thought, I'm just going to show up and see what will happen. Can you tell us about how this taking this flight and doing this step forward in your career, what you gained from it and how that persistency actually paid off? Sure. Let me get the story right. So I was actually on vacation visiting my friend in Calgary. And then during the vacation, I thought I would give it a go to explore some job opportunities and North American market. It wasn't that difficult. 
in a way, I wasn't that special. <laughs> but the real challenge I faced was when I realized the word that I had known before was just a very small piece of a much larger word. For example, my prestigious university and an academic degree from it, and also the Korean EMP company I was working for weren't widely recognized in category market, in other words, in North American market. I felt like an orphan, totally disconnected from the EMP circle. And surprisingly, there were some people I met, and they were really kind and helpful to connect me to go into the circle, although they never knew about me. One encounter was with the manager at Shell Canada, and then she graciously took time to chat with me over coffee after hearing my story and about my project in Myanmar, she mentioned that maybe Talisman Energy might be more interested in my skill set and experience because she knew that they were expanding in Southeast Asia. She kindly connected me with the new venture manager at Talisman Energy. I met him over coffee. He was very intrigued by my story and particularly how we found the significant discovery in Myanmar. And he asked me to come back for more formal interview on the next day. So I came back to their office, and this led to multiple visits to Talisman office over four days in a row, and I heard that I got the job on the last day. <laughs> uh, that vacation not only shaped my career, but also expanded my horizons and introduced me to the kindness of the people who are willing to help along the way. I love that you shared just the connections that people, it's a network that people opened up to you and they connected you to the right companies. But I want to go back to the beginning, which is you still took a risk, even though you were in Canada, you were visiting your friend. Most people don't think, maybe I want to come into the North America market. What if I could find a job here? Let me apply. Let me go for coffee with someone. And so you are special because you did take that leap of faith that most people want to think to do, and then they don't do it. That's kind of led you to where you are today because Talisman turned into Repsol and you are at Repsol now. So just that one action that you took in your life has led you this incredible career, which you're currently in. We want to mention, Maciel, that nobody on vacation would say, let me go yes. look for a job. <laughs> so I think, yeah, just across the world too. Yeah. yeah. You took a big risk and I hope more people listening to this can think of this because truly one idea or one action can change your career path. What we wanted to ask you when we spoke to you, you mentioned about getting a promotion at a young age. And it was just so good that I think a lot of people can learn from this because maybe they will experience this. And they gave you this promotion. You were pretty young. And a lot of people warned you, don't take this job. You're too young for this. People are going to sabotage you because people are going to be jealous that you have such a role. And your response of expressing willingness to wait until the following year was shocking for your manager because after multiple feedbacks of don't take it, you decided to turn it down. Can you tell us a little bit about just that situation, what you've learned and what advice would you give to someone who's getting a promotion that people are telling them that they're going to be sabotaged because of jealousy amongst coworkers for their age? Yeah, sure. So the exceptional promotion opportunity came when I had been working for the South Korean company for about two years. I was too young, actually. But then there was a significant gas discovery, which I was involved, directly involved in the project. That discovery changed the company destiny completely. But the journey to success was not without the success, without any challenges. Initially, the project faced the setback. We were about to drill a deviated well to drill the four 
sand target. Then we encountered some problem in the shallow section of the geology. So we decided to drill the vertical well first and set the casing and the sidetrack the last big target. During drilling the vertical well, we were able to assess the potential of the three sand targets and intermediate wildline logging data suggested there was no sand reservoir developed. We were carried by our partners in the drilling campaign at the time, and then our partners took the decision not to participate in the site tracking after looking at the logging data. It was disappointing. Our company didn't have a financial resource to continue drilling and site tracking by ourselves, so they were considering PNA instead of site tracking. It was then that I addressed this question again. <laughs> I asked my boss, why can't we sidetrack at sole risk with our partners? And my boss answered, like, because we don't have money. And I said, I think we have money. And I explained that the sidetracking is still within the project boundary, which was originally eligible to receive the South Korean government's you know, special energy loan program. So therefore, with that loan program, our net exposure to sidetrack will be just reduced to 30% of the total cost, I explained. So my boss was like, oh, yeah, you're right. How come hadn't I thought about it? Mm-hmm. And he picked up the phone and he called the headquarters immediately and persuaded our senior management to support our sidetracking. And the project was approved within a couple of hours by our board of directors. And then we were able to sidetrack to test the last target. And that was the big hit. And we made a huge gas discovery. The success was a big impact to the company because our company share was $1 per share. Mm -hmm. And then the share price elevated to $30 per share after the discovery. And then expected net profit, not the revenue, net profit is likely to be increased to 70% over several decades. So it was a big thing. Ironically, I want to mention that it's really interesting. It was the vice president. Do you remember the vice president who told that they don't hire women and they who was reluctant to hire me because I'm a woman? And it was the vice president who strongly supported my exceptional early promotion. But then my supervisor, direct supervisor, my boss, had a concern, and then he addressed the concern about the jealousy issue from the other team members. So he advised me to go and talk to the vice president to turn down the promotion opportunity. So I followed my supervisor's advice, and I visited the vice president, and I told him that I'll be willing to wait for another year for the normal proportional review. Then he posed a crucial question to me. Hey, Michelle, what do you think the promotion means? Well, the promotion, everybody knows it's about high salary, fancy title, and it's a great thing, right? But then the vice president shared a very important lesson with me. A promotion means the company's expectation for higher responsibility. So it means company knows that you are ready to take higher responsibility. So therefore, it is not something that you can just choose or take it or not. It was an eye-opening moment. And it changed my perspective on the promotion, the meaning of the promotion, and the vice president's trust in my ability, my role, and to take the higher role actually shaped my professional growth and career advancement within the company. Hmm. I love listening to you tell this story. I think it's so eye-opening to also understand from a company perspective, like you had your colleagues who were against it because sabotage, quote unquote, right? But then 
you went and you talked to the vice president, he actually was cleared it up and said, do you know what this is for? Do you know what this means? And I think that a lot of us need to kind of go down and think about that and analyze that when you get a promotion. Like this means that they want you to take that next step. I think it's so important. And I love how you walked us through that part in your life. And thank you for sharing. There's a really interesting thing that happened to you, which I believe all my listeners had never heard this or we wouldn't know what to do. You were detained in Sudan during a bid round where local authorities mistook you for a Chinese spy. I could only imagine what that was like, leading to a tense situation, which involved an M16 gun pressed against your chest and an order to cross the Nile River, making you contemplate the possibility of actually never seeing your family again. What a horrible situation, only to be fortunately rescued while en route to a jail. This unimaginable for like many of us to even think about seems like something I'd see in a movie, but you kept on going and you didn't even let this hold you back. I mean, I know many people, this happened during their career. They'd be rethinking their life. Tell us what in those moments, what were you thinking? And then also coming out of that, what have you learned and Is there anything that you maybe have learned just about life in general that you maybe still use today? Yeah, so the ordeal in Sudan happened in, I think it was 2002. There was international bid round in Sudan. And we were detained by the local authority for a while. And we were completely disconnected from our headquarter and the local office for a while. And then there was no way that we could communicate with our family for a while. So I will tell you the story a bit. We were in the middle of the onshore survey. So before beating the onshore blog, offshore blog is a pretty straightforward. You just need to check the water depths and then some sort of environmental aspect. But the onshore is a little bit different because you have to go and check the infrastructure and then you have to feel the community around that area to estimate the exploration and development cost. So we were in the middle of the survey and we were a group of four. And then two from my company, my boss and me, and then another two from our partner company. And then we shared a car to visit the onshore site. Um, then in the middle of the journey, we had a terrible car accident. Our car rolled over and then uh, we were just kind of isolated in the middle of the desert. And luckily, we were soon found by the local policemen authorities, but they suspected us of being Chinese spies because nobody had a passport or identification to prove who we were. We were detained behind the bars at the police station and situation became quite tense because one of them actually pressed the gun, the M16 gun on my chest to follow their instructions. But you know what? If you are in the unusual situations like this, you may discover certain aspects of your characters which you never knew before. Mm-hmm. So during the Sudan incident, I found myself surprisingly calm. I was very calm and I was not worried too much. And maybe because I wasn't alone, but I was with the rest of the team members. And while waiting, I was observing how other team members were reacting. And the manager from our partner company, his English was not that good, but he started chit-chatting with the Sudanese policeman and he was engaging in more friendly conversation and they kind of laugh at together. At the same time, I looked at my boss. My boss was complaining that we were completely wasting our time here because we have lots of things to do. And then how could I finish our report? Looking at the drastic difference of the attitude, I laughed out loud 
And then my boss looked at me and said, hey, what's funny? I mean, do you think the situation is funny? I mean, look at you. You are the only woman among us. And if any terrible things happen to you, then there is no way that we can help you. And soon I realized, yes, yeah, it is right. I'm a woman and a woman tends to be more vulnerable in that kind of extreme situations. But luckily, we were safe. And then our branch office from Khartoum, back then it was the capital of Sudan, tracked us. And then they found us in the middle of the highway when we were transported to the bigger jail, so-called jail. And they proved our identity and everything was okay. So we were able to come back. But I never thought that I will leave the EMP sector because of this experience. And actually, I thought, it was so cool to have this experience <laughs> because not many geologists would have this kind of experience, right? And looking back, this experience taught me how to stay calm, even in the kind of a critical moment. And also it was so important to find the ability to find humor in the challenging situations. Yeah. And then because of the story, I know that I was invited to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an adrenaline junkie. You yeah. like life on the extreme. But to your point, I think at the end of the day, it's these really unique stories that kind of make you who you are today and have affected you in a way that we sometimes see it or not. It's just made you stronger. And you're like, I've been through hell through, you know, even a gun on me in the middle of nowhere. What else can come at me? You've already done pretty terrible situations. So you're like, I can take anything. Of course, this is not the only reason you came on the podcast. You're just such an incredible <laughs> leader. And when we heard your story, we were shocked at just your discovery at such a young age. I mean, $1 per share to 30. It's incredible, truly everything that you've done. It's so inspiring. And to end, we wanted to ask you just one last question. And it's, what is one piece of advice that you want to give to any listener that is currently going through their career that maybe someone gave to you early on and that you incorporated? Or maybe no one's ever told you this, but you, through experience, have this one piece of advice. I want to share this advice, especially with young career women. And I often find the really talented women in our society, in our industry, but I also, at the same time, I found that they were not really active. I want to give an advice to raise your hands and voice out. I have been voicing out. I will tell you that my voices were not always welcome, okay? And sometimes people didn't like my voices. And then sometimes they told me, hey, Michelle, this is the time to shut up. <laughs> and I had to be quiet. However, through the various moments of voicing out my opinions, I tend to gain more exposures. And I tend to gain more support from my male colleagues and female colleagues and my bosses. It is not that bad to speak up if you think that your voice actually is relevant to help the society and help the company voice out and participate in networking with the rest of the women and with the rest of the society. And that's what I really want to see in our industry. I don't think you could have ended any better, but I want to just preference for our listeners that... Your journey, when we think about where you started, if we really think about where you started in South Korea, your mom was a single mom. You had really not much growing up as far as when it comes to monetary and money, but that didn't ever hinder you to where you're at today, which is an incredible role with a North American company. And you were able to move and make it to the United States from the region where you started. And I think for a lot of us who are listening, who are always been in the U.S., 
you don't understand the complexity of the and how difficult it really is to do that. And you made it sound so easy in your journey, but it's huge. And we really, for you being on the podcast, we just want to recognize the fact that we think it's absolutely incredible what you've done and you've really paved the way for not just women, but men too. And for everyone that there is so much opportunity. It doesn't matter. Honestly, it does not matter where you start. And for those listening who feel that they didn't come from a background that gives them the opportunity to be in a high role, it's completely that mindset is not right. And you can literally do anything and you just got to be persistent. And I think your persistency is really a big key to what made you so successful. I want to end with that. And I just want to say thank you again so much for coming on and sharing. And we really hope to see you more and with FTB, maybe down the road somewhere else, because you're just incredible. And we think your story should be heard. Thank you for sharing today. Thank you so much for having me. And it was a great pleasure to share my stories with you guys and the, also the rest of your audience. Being the first South Korean invited to the podcast, I wish this podcast is also become famous in Asian world so that we can have more leaders invited to this podcast so that your podcast became the worldwide, the most leadership podcast in the industry. Thank you so much. And with that, if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment, write us. If there's somebody who you think we should highlight, email us. It's flippingthebarrel at gmail.com. And we look forward to seeing you at the next one. Thank you. 